0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning, as we uh, come to our text this morning, we're going to look at the uh, first ten, ten chapters of, uh, uh first ten verses, excuse me, of, uh, of chapter thir- three, which is the final chapter of Second Peter. Uh, we're going to take this in two lessons. We'll take the, bulk, the rest of it uh, next week. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> we will be finished with Peter. Um, I, I am taking two weeks off after we finish Peter. I'm not quite sure. I haven't heard what they're going to do during those two weeks. Uh, I just want to, I want to take a break. We've done, I've done three straight books. And there was a day I spoke three times a day. But uh, you know what? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Every now and then you need a break. Uh, so at, at any rate, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. And then we're going to come back and go through the, through the, uh, through the epistles of John, uh, first, second, and third John. So that that's the plan. But I don't know what they're doing in the two weeks in between. I, I talked to I talked to them a couple of weeks ago and told them what I wanted to do, and they know we're doing it. But uh, but I don't know. I maybe next week I can tell you what to do for two weeks. <laughs> but at any rate, I hope you all come back. And, t- and that was two weeks but anyhow uh that's that's kind of the plan for right now um uh, just need a little time to regroup and uh put the stuff in my office for first first and second peter away and get the stuff for john out and uh and go from there so and start start prepping it so at any rate um that's that's the plan so this morning we're going to look at uh at First uh, uh, Peter One through ten, which I entitled by way of reminder i kind of I kind of work the outline. It, it follows the text, but it's a little bit different, I think, than most people outline it. Uh, I, I took the first two verses of the Word of God, and the 3 through 7 as the judgments of God, and 8 through 10, the patience of God, as we come to this. And, and uh, uh, it's a text that follows on his teaching of the false prophets, and the false prophets are still in view here as he comes to this. This is kind of, uh, well, he... By, by what he says here. It's by way of reminder. It's holding your mind uh, fixed upon the things of God and not allowing yourself to be disturbed by the contingencies that false so-called Christians may bring in, the cults may bring in, and the world in itself brings in that muddles our thinking. Uh, that's that's kind of what Peter is, is calling us to here. And he's going to remind us that, that what they say is not true. And uh, stick to the truth is, is where, he's, where he's pretty much going with this text. So uh, before we get started this morning, do we have any prayer requests? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you this morning. Uh, we come before you as a, as a people that, that desires to know you better, uh, to know you more fully. Uh, to follow you in obedience, uh, to be holy in your sight uh, through the through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, and we ask this morning as we as we come to this this text that you would uh, you would open our minds to to see what the text has to say that we would allow the Holy Spirit to to bring it uh, to our our being that we might be more conformed to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ, and thereby glorify Him. And Father, we lift up George Castanias this morning. We ask uh, Your hand upon him and upon his family. Uh, we we ask for his recovery uh, from this uh, from this this injury. Our desire would be that his sight would be fully restored and and healthy. But, Father, we commit him to your will, and to your love, and to your mercy, and we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, Peter, will start off with God's, uh, God's Word in verses 1 through 2. And basically, what, what happens here in this text is, Peter gives us four uh, examples, or four sources through which the holy spirit gave us the word of god that isn't explicit what he's doing here but that is what he does when when he comes here and he's kind of giving you why Uh, why we need it, Uh, one of the reasons, at least, at any rate. And he says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and and the commandment of our Lord and Savior, spoken by your apostles." So, he, he begins by, first of all, he uses the common uh, greeting that is very much common for Peter. In fact, he uses it four times just in this, in this, in this, uh, in this, uh, in this opening, uh, uh, ver- in this chapter. He says, he uses it in, in verse 1, and verse 8, and verse 14, and in verse 17, where he says, Beloved. Uh, in other words, he is speaking to fellow Christians. And that's the way he addresses them, as beloved. That's who we are to be, the beloved in Christ, beloved to one another. Only one other time in verse 10, uh, instead of beloved, he says, brothers, which carries the same Kind of idea uh, that we're a family, uh, and that that uh, familiarity should exist be, uh, between all of us. In fact, it is the greeting "beloved" is the greeting that Peter uses throughout First and Second Peter. Uh, it's also a favorite of John as well, and he make, and is to let his pastor is to let his his hearers uh, understand his pastoral care and love for them that's 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 what this greeting begins he says to them beloved i'm becoming i'm coming to you uh, because of my care for you because of my desire for you to be all that you can be in Christ Jesus to be to be sure that the false prophets don't stumble you beloved that's kind of the idea here and he says he says he goes on he says this is the second letter I am writing to you. Now, if you get into commentaries and various different guys, you'll find that there are some that try to say he wrote three letters and they try to divide the two letters up and they take this chapter, it goes with this one and this one and that one. It's nonsense. It's just somebody trying to come up with a reason to earn their Ph.D., I think. But at any rate, but at any rate, uh, but at any rate he wrote two letters, 1st and 2nd Peter. He probably wrote a dozen other letters to people, but they weren't inscripturated. The Holy Spirit didn't hold them to be inspired texts. They were, Dear Tom, how are you today? I'm fine. You know, those kind of things that we all do, following up on things and following up on people. But the two inscripturated letters the two inspired letters that the Holy Spirit held for us are First and Second Peter, and that's what he's saying here. I wrote you twice under the direction of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the idea that he wants he wants to bring across here. He says, and this is the second letter, and he said these letters had the intent; they had the intent to to stir up your uh, to, to to stir up your sincere minds by way of reminder in chapter 1 verse 13 he wrote <clears throat> he wrote he wrote uh, i consider it right as long as i'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder the idea here is is that as believers in jesus christ we have a certain accumulated theological knowledge whether you think you do or not you do but at at any rate if you sit in this church at any time i know you do especially in the morning service Uh, but the fact is what he is saying here is i want to stir up that in you i want that to be the forefront of your thinking i want your focus as the hebrew said as the as the book of hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that our focal point would be jesus christ uh, that's that's what he's calling them to here. That you would be stirred up, uh, that you would be focused, that you would remember these things. They would be forefront in your thinking. At the uh, last church that I was at, um, I did the same thing there. I do here. I I, I taught the adult class, and uh, uh, I taught there for. 26 or 7 years, I don't know what it was, but anyway, at one point in time, I, I had uh, I had taught the book of Revelation, and it never dawned on me how many years passed and how the class had changed. And for example, Margaret's daughters grew up. Somebody I don't know who let them do that, but anyway, they grew up and they joined the class. And one of them said to me, I, I think it was Elizabeth said can we do the book of Revelation? I said, well, I just did it. And then I found out, well, no, it was about 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, so so we redid the book of Revelation. Well, the, the point of my story is there was this one little lady in the class that had been with me the whole time. And uh, she went, she's going to Valley Baptist now that that uh, Grace community broke up, but it's near her home and she's in her 80s and travel's not easy for her. So she didn't come with us here. She went over there. Uh, but uh but she had been in both classes of Revelation. She took copious notes. She showed up with her notes from the first class, <laughs> wow. and she said, and she was reading them as I taught, and and and, the, and she gave me a, probably the best compliment you give a teacher: you didn't change anything, but you expanded it. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was checking me. You know, anyway. But nevertheless, you know, that was that was that was an encouragement to me. Because the idea is, as we set under the teaching of the Word, we should grow. Uh, we should gain new insight, new knowledge. I never teach, I never use the notes from a past teaching. I always, I always do it fresh. And, and, and I just think that's the way it's supposed to be done. Well, that's the guys who taught me. <laughs> but at any rate, at any rate, that's, that's the way I see it. That's what Peter is saying here. I want to stir you up. I want you to go on, but I want you to keep in mind everything you have learned. That's that's the idea here. I don't want you to forget anything. We keep it. That's why we preach the same things many times. Uh, you know, I I I, I got to tell you, I, I've taught the Book of Matthew. I spent a long time in the Book of Matthew. Uh, I am learning a lot of new stuff, a lot of added stuff uh, as we go through Matthew. I was not that detailed. I don't think I can be, but at any rate, at any rate, that's, that's the idea. you oh, I want to stir you up. I want you to have a focus on the truth uh, in one twelve through fifteen you know, peter had had uh, had already written to them he oops, yeah one twelve he says therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them that you that you have been strengthened in the truth which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earth, earthly dwelling to stir up by way of reminder, that's that's the idea, that's the focus of teaching and preaching, to keep the scriptures before your mind, and, and to keep you stirred up, he says with a sincere mind, this is the idea of a mind that is pure, that is un contaminated in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11, 11 through 13, Peter, or excuse me, Paul speaks of those things. He, th- he speaks about what has happened to us under the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how mm-hmm. a believer's mind is made pure at salvation and it's kept that way through obedience to the word that's that's the idea that he that he is wanting them to understand here focus on the scriptures and you can stay right with god that's really the idea that he's expressing verse 20 of chapter 2 he said for if for if they are overcome Yeah, uh, 2, chapter 2. For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and having again become entangled with it, then their last state is worse than the first one. He's talking about the false prophets here. And he used that word, we talked about this a few weeks ago, defilement. It means polluted. He's saying, I want to keep you unpolluted. That's the idea here. That I want to keep you unpolluted by false thinking. That's, that's, that's the idea here. And he says, we do it by way of reminder. That's the, the, that's what preaching and teaching is all about. Keeping the word of God in the focus of the people of God, keeping their minds concentrated on it that's the idea and then Peter is going to give three more three more reminders of the means by which the Holy Spirit has transmitted the word to us in verse in verse 2 and he says he says he says in verse 2 that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets uh, there's one source Peter already Peter himself is a source and now he's saying spoken by the holy prophets it's called it's a call to remember the Old Testament prophecies Isaiah to Malachi the whole of them—they're relevant for today. They are not irrelevant, as, as you—I think you probably know. Uh, but Peter calls attention to the prophecies, especially here are the last days, because that's the focal point of the context. And 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 they are peppered throughout Isaiah, uh, throughout Malachi, throughout Zechariah and Jeremiah, and and so on and so forth. It, it, all of the, throughout many of the minor prophets as well. That's what he's saying. You're to remember this. He spoke of the prophets already twice and, 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 and calling to mind what the prophets have had to say. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he told us that we have a more sure prophetic word to which we would do well to pay attention as a light shining in a dark place until, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. The idea is, is through Christ we have an even more sure prophetic word. And by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we know that indwelling word. We're to, we're to focus on that. In, in, chapter, in 1 Peter First Peter chapter uh, chapter one verses ten and twelve. He wrote concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful search and inquiries, inquiring to know what time and what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been declared to you uh, through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, Things to which angels long to look into. The, the, the prophets set the pace. They set the, the standard. They set what would eventually be fully revealed. And, and he uses this word spoken, which is a perfect tense word, which basically means that they've spoken in the past, but it's as valid today as the moment they set it. That's what it says. It's not irrelevant. It's not removed. It's not been replaced. It, it is for today. That's, that's what he's telling us here. And then he says that they were holy. These are the true prophets of God in opposition to the false prophets. That's how the word is being used there. You understand he's been talking about false prophets, false teachers. Here he's letting us know these are the holy ones. These are the ones God set aside to bring the message to you and for you. That's That's the idea. And, and he says that they spoke, and in verse two of uh, verse twenty-one of chapter uh, verse twenty-one of chapter one, he said, "Being moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God." That's the point here. They, these were inspired words, direct from God. And and he, and, he, <clears throat> and in the context here, it's specific about the second coming. That's that's where he's going with all this. He's that's that's the whole idea here. The consummation of things is where he's going, and uh, uh, and then he goes and then he says, but this is um, and he, and then he goes on and he says he says he says these are the commandments of our Lord and Savior. That's the next one. Jesus' words what Jesus taught while He was incarnate, what He taught while He walked among us, many of the things we're learning in Matthew, the, the upgrade, if you will, of the Ten Commandments uh, that, that He made, which are the commandments of Christ, all of the things by which we are to live. Uh, live. It's, a, it's a reference to the Gospel. That's what He's saying here. This is what we are, this is what we are to be, be focusing on as well. It's a, a third way by which God communicated his word to us and it is by the commands of Christ the whole gospel calling man to repentance and faith those those are the things that uh, that we are to keep focused on and then finally he says the apostles in general that 's what he's talking about here uh, he's talking about and this doesn't mean he wasn't one of them. he was the leader of the apostolic uh, group uh, he's already talked about his teaching, but he 's also now talking about the rest of the apostles and he says the the teaching that they gave that's the idea the um, <clears throat> uh, the apostles uh, were were the ones who who explained... The word of Christ to us. The epistles tell us how it's to be applied within the church family and, and, and give us a more full understanding of the theology of those things. That's the idea here. And, 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 and it, and it is, it is important to our text that they recorded the great hope of Jesus' return. He, um, uh, Revelation chapter 19, 1 through 11. Uh, Peter here calls, calls the believer to have his mind focused on the truth God revealed in his word and delivered by Peter himself, by the prophets, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the band of apostles. Uh, that's that's the idea that he's expressing to us here have your mind called to memory of the things you have learned that keep them at the forefront of your thinking and then he he talks about the judgments of God he he shifts a little bit and he says knowing this first of all then in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust and what he's saying here is this is not a list he's not going to make a list this is not number one number two number three this is first by way of importance that's, that's what he's saying here uh, that's, that's the way this word is being used Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 18 Jude does the same idea, he says he says <clears throat> and they were saying to you in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust, this is the idea this is the thing you must understand that throughout the history of the church there are going to be those who mock you If you haven't been mocked yet, you haven't been around very long or you haven't opened your mouth. That's that's all there is to it. You will be mocked for your faith. That's that's the idea. Second, uh, second uh, Peter three uh, one, uh, second Peter, Mm -hmm. second Timothy three one uh, tells us that uh, uh, three one and two tells us that these are uh, these are that we will have difficult times in which men are lovers of selves. And then he goes into a whole list of how that plays out. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying. Uh, these last days, this is the way, uh, this is the way it's going to be. And he wants you to know that, first of all, keeping this in mind of first importance, these mockers will come mocking. That's the idea. Uh, they, uh, they will be present. Un- and, they, and their goal is to undermine uh, the believer's confidence. And this has always been true. We can go back to Isaiah chapter 5, 18 through 19, Malachi 2.17. In both of those cases, in fact, Malachi, let's look at Malachi 2.17. Uh, 2, Malachi wrote, for you have weary, wearied Yahweh with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say everyone does uh, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh and he delights in them, or where is Yahweh? Of, or where is the Yahweh of justice? Uh, this is this is the idea. Uh, this is mocking God is what they were doing, and and Malachi points that out. It's always been that way. Uh, mocking is when men shows a willful contempt for the for God and His Son. The false teachers of chapter two. That's 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 what he's talking about. Uh, if uh, you uh, all you have to do is see any kind of uh, uh, an article, uh, you know, you go on Fox News. Lets people write replies, you know, and all you have to do is see anything about religion, and then go look at the replies. There's always five or six or uh, ten that are mocking Christianity and mock God. It's always there. It's always there, and that's that's just the way it is. Watch the news. Anything else? Well, you don't really need to, but nevertheless, uh, it is true. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Try witnessing. You'll get mocked. That's all there. That's all there is to it. And they it says they follow after their own lust. They're apostates. They reject God's world word, and as a result, they follow their own sinful desires. The idea is, God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm a, I'm self important. They love lovers herself. That's the idea Uh, behind these guys. uh, In Matthew 24, uh, verses 3 through 5, verse 11, 23 through 26, Jesus said in 3 through 5 that there are going to be many who come around saying they are the Christ don't pay any attention to it. That's what he's telling them in that point. And then in verse 11, he's going to, he says that there's going to be with him a lot of false prophets that's going to happen as well. And then finally, in, in, in uh, 23 through 26, uh, he says, and some of them will absolutely claim to be, the first part says they are going to be people saying to go here because Christ is there. And the last part, he says, they're going to be there, the ones who then claim they are Christ. And we see this over and over again in the cults. Uh, people claiming to be the Messiah. That's, that's the idea here. And then he, then he gets specific. He's going to tell us in verse 4 something about their mocking, at least their mocking in, in Peter's day. He says, "...and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation." So there are basically a couple of forms of mocking here that he, that he says. They, they mock the second coming. Uh, they they say, oh yeah, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, this guy made all these statements, and what's happened since then? Nothing. That That's the idea here. Now, in Peter's day, they were already having this problem. Paul had to address this at Thessalonica. The believers there were concerned, what happened to those that Jesus hasn't come back yet and people have died? What happened to them? You know, what, what's the, what, what happened to them? And Peter had to address that in First Thessalonians. Uh, that was common in the New Testament era. People were somewhat confused. And, 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 uh, the mockers picked this up. And they used that. Oh, I don't see anything. He, where is he? You know, he said he was coming back. He said he rebuilt the temple in three days. Where is he? You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, that was the idea here. Uh, and then, and then, uh, then from that, from denial of the second coming, they moved to a revisionist history idea. Uh, they, they said, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. That's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, here's the idea. There was this premortal mass of muck that somehow the universe developed out of and from that intelligent beings came and it just went on the same and nothing ever changed. And it was a closed system and nothing ever interrupted it. Now they didn't know they were saying that then some guy named Darwin and his buddies kind of put all that together, but, but that's what they're saying. They're saying there has been no upheaval, no intervention by God in the history of the world. That, that's what they're saying here. It's gone on since the creation, since 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 creation came, and of course that's Peter's word here. They may not have even said it in, in that form, but since anyway the world came into existence by however it happened, according to them, there has been no effect. The incarnation of Christ had no effect. His death, his resurrection had no effect. The promises of the New Testament are not relevant, and always and all goes on as it always has. That's, that, that's their claim. That's, that's the claim of mockers. It's the same claim we have today, incidentally. Peter then gives them a history lesson. He says, this simply isn't true. In verse 5 he says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being deluged with water. He says there has been intervention. He says first of all, and he gives two evidences. He gives first of all the creation account of Genesis one and two. That's the first thing he goes to. Uh, he says he says the. Uh, <clears throat> lost my place. Sorry. Um, he says, he says, uh, he says, uh, oh, incidentally, I, I just in the KJV and I know you have one. Uh, and if you have the KJV, uh, it says it escapes their notice. And in, in, in the text I read, the KJV, it says they're willingly ignorant. It's a really good translation, incidentally, of the Greek words. Um, that's the idea. They ignore the evidence. That's what it says. In the first evidence, they, they, they ignore the evidence of creation. That's what they say here. Uh, he calls, he recalls a creation account here, Genesis chapter one and two. It's in here somewhere, right in the beginning. And, and in verse, in, in chapter one and two, uh, it begins off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you if you follow the the translating uh, efforts, the exegetical efforts that, that that I would employ here, that's a summary statement. That's sometime God called into existence. Things that never existed—that's ex cahilo Chapter two, or chapter two, has a little different set. There are things that there that are in a chaotic state. The text doesn't really tell us how the chaos came into debate. We don't, or came into existence, and. We could spend several days discussing that, and we're not going to. Uh, but nevertheless, there was this chaotic state called the Tohom, the waters of the deep. The Hebrew word is Tohom, which happened to be Tovu Vabohu, which means they had no form and no substance. And the Spirit of God hovered over them. That's what it says here. And then it says, and God said, let, and oh, also darkness prevailed. I forgot that. But anyway, and then in verse 3, God says, let there be light. And he separates day and night. Uh, he brings those into order, and that's one day. That's one 24-hour period. And then he he goes on from that and he he looks at the, the the home itself in verse 6 He says God says let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below and the expanse of the waters <clears throat> the, uh, the expanse of the waters which were above the expanse and it was all and it was so. In other words God began separating out the waters he took he took and made the atmospheric conditions that we believe in that day were a heavy mist that 's probably why uh, it blocked all the harmful effects of the sun and people lived so long you know, the sun didn 't have an effect on them as it does today also why the why the earth was a great big rainforest in a sense it, the vegetation was was immense it also would allow for Reptiles to grow very big, incidentally. Uh, But at at any rate, uh, that's what it says here. He separated this out. He separated the the atmospheric water from the earth water. And then the next thing he does is he puts bounds on the tahome. This is important to understand. He put boundaries on them. It's called land. He separated it out. He He made oceans and land masses. That's the next thing he did. We're only a couple of days in at this point. Uh, but that's the idea. It says it escapes their notice that God moved. And he, he focuses on water here and the separating out of the water. Uh, that's, that's what he does. And the boundaries that God put on that water. And then he goes on, he goes on and he says, he says, and it was destroyed by a deluge of the water. That's the next thing he does. The first evidence is the creation itself. And he goes on to land masses and, of course, vegetation and animals and eventually man. Uh, but but here the focus is on the separation out of the water and the land masses that were created to put boundaries on the to home. And then he goes on and he says, he and, he and he tells us the second evidence is the flood, which God intervened once again in history. And he says the flood, which is inter- Interestingly enough, the word from which in English we get cataclysmic, it was a cataclysmic event. Uh, That's that's what this word says. The the flood or the deluge. That's that's what it says. He says uh, the flood, the flood or the the deluge implies complete destruction. And that's found in Genesis chapter 7. And we go to Genesis chapter 7. And basically what happens in Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 12, when the when the, it says the fountains of the deep broke open, what it says is God released the tahome by breaking down the barriers He placed upon it. And then the water canopy surrounding the earth collapsed and it rained for 40 days. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying here. He says, this escapes their notice. It escapes their notice that the world was once utterly destroyed, except for eight people and some animals in a great big boat. Uh, that, that escapes them. That escapes them. It says the mockers willingly ignore the truth of a worldwide judgment in the past. They willingly ignore the truth of how things came into existence. They don't go on as they always did. That's that's what he's saying here. Now, there are other events as well, but these are the two he focuses on. This is where he focuses in. And then he says in verse 7, he says, But by his word... But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. He says, there is yet another worldwide cataclysmic event to come. And they don't want to pay any attention to that either. They want to reject that. The world goes on as it always is. We have no accountability. We have to answer to no one. But he's saying, there is a day that accountability will come. Notice Notice that the close of that, that that's a judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There's a focal point for where that goes. Just as the Genesis flood in chapter six of Genesis, we know that the world had become totally corrupt with the exception of Noah. And he wiped them all out. Well, here the same thing is going to, going to happen. He is going to wipe out all ungodliness. That's, that's the ultimate end of this. And he says, by his word. Basically, the idea here is God has set the beginning and the end of the universe as we know it. He set the times. He hasn't told us what the times are, but he, he formed the earth, and he will bring it to a conclusion and keep in mind that from this text, just as Noah and his family uh, were saved from the flood of judgment, God's people will be saved from the final judgment as well. Uh, that's that's all implied in this text. He says it's reserved for fire. Uh, the Greek says they have been, uh, they have been, and are. Treasured, In other words, they've been put away for this. They've, they've been reserved for this. That's, that's the idea here. And then Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66. Verses 15 and 16, Isaiah wrote, For behold, Yahweh will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, He to return his anger with wrath, and, and his rebuke with flames of fire, For Yahweh will execute judgment by fire, and by the sword of all flesh, and those slain by Yahweh will be many. And then in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, Paul writes... Since it is right for God to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you and to give rest to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what what he's saying in this text. There is a second judgment coming. It's a fire judgment in this one. I did a little bit of... Just looking, because it was kind of interesting to me. There's always debates on how this is going to happen, you know, as massive volcanic eruptions, which is possible. Um, The text, as we'll move on in the text, gives kind of the indication that it's an unleashing of the elements of the Earth, which implies, as we understand structure today, uh, maybe a massive nuclear event. In other words, the world is a big atomic bomb, and it blows up, uh, is kind of the idea, which there is... Simply a lot of support for that as we get on down in a couple of texts. But but right here he, he says uh, he's talking about fire and the heat and the fire. And I, I, I looked up and it says that the Earth's crust at its most narrow, it's, it has an average depth of 8 to 10 miles, the Earth's crust. And it says that at its thinnest point, which is some of the deepest parts of the ocean, it's only 3 miles. And at its tallest point, which I guess is the top of mountains, it's Forty three miles. So but its average average is about eight to ten. Under that is the mantle, am I right? I asked my geologist, is the mantle, which temp the temperature of the mantle is twelve thousand four hundred degrees. Steel melts at twenty seven hundred and fifty degrees and becomes soft at seven hundred degrees. That's the Earth we live on. It's hot, just right down there. It's hot, and it can wipe out everything. Incidentally, the mantle is eighteen hundred miles thick before we get to the next level. So there's a lot of hot stuff under your feet. That's that's what he's telling there, and he says it's cap for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That's what it says. This is a post-millennium time. This is at the end of what we're studying at night. This is at the end when Jesus, uh, when Jesus, uh, at chapter, Revelation chapter 27, 7 through 10, when Satan's final final resurrection is finished and all the ungodly are cast, go through the white throne, judgment are cast into the furnace of the lake of fires. I kind of wonder, is the lake of fires the mantle? I mean, you know, but at any rate, at any rate that's just... He says, not believers, believers Believers have no part in that, Malachi 3.16, or 3.16 and, and following. Uh, Malachi wrote this long, over 2000, oh, 2,400 years ago, uh, he wrote this, he said, then those who fear Yahweh spoke to one another, and Yahweh gave heed and heard it, and looked at the book of remembrance, was written before him, for those who fear Yahweh, and who think upon his name, And and he says... And they will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts. On that day I will prepare my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So. So you will return and see this distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and the ones who do not serve God. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every worker of wickedness will be chaff, and the day of its coming will will be set aflame, says Yahweh of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch, but but for you who fear my name. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves from the stall. That's the picture he's talking about here. Uh, That's the day he's talking about. He says, God gives evidence of the fact that history isn't one big, long, continuous line without interruption. Yes, sir. I just was envisioning it you know as you're talking you're talking about the creation of the world was formed out of water and he separated the waters from below and above and then when the earth was flooded then it, the water came down and the water came up and then at the end it's going to be talking about uh, being destroyed by fire and what I envisioned was you're talking about the core of the earth the heat coming from below and then I thought of the sun and God has kept the sun far enough away from us so we don't get burned. But then He would remove that safety net, and then the heat from above and the heat from below would be the same effect as the water above and the heat below. Could be. Those are those are all possibilities. Uh, you know, we have a whole universe full of flaming objects called stars. Right, right, right. right. Uh, you know, and that's what they are. They're big balls of fire. And He could send all of them flying this way too, as well. There's yet another possibility that he's going to bring up as we as we move through. And I, I just think of if, if he uses the elements of his creation versus man. That's so that's he, Oh no no no! The, the atomic is not. We blow up the bombs. Right. He blows up the earth by releasing its atomic structure. Right. So we're, we're that's the next thing he's that's going to come up, which is a possibility. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not voting for one or the other. I, God will do it His way. That's that's the point. I'm not making any fast and furious statement on this here. In verse eight. Now we're going to look at God's patience. He says, "But do not." Uh, But do not let this fact escape your notice. He's got a lot of stuff He wants us to notice. He says, don't let this escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. This is not time setting by God. Unfortunately, there are some who took this to mean the time between Jesus' first and second coming was going to be a thousand years. Probably why we had something called the Crusades. Uh, but at any rate but at any rate uh, there was no time setting here this is talking about the 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 association of god with time god invented time time affects you and me it doesn't affect god that's what this is saying the eternal god has no time barrier set on him other than the ones in his eternal plan he set uh, that's, that's the point he's trying to make here. He goes here, time is irrelevant to God. Actually, it's what he is saying. Uh, that's what he's saying. While Christ's return seems far off in God's mind, it's happening right now. He lives in an ever-present now. And, and time means very little. Uh, time has no effect on him other than how he has set it in effect to us. Uh, God set time... <coughs> within His eternity, is, is the idea here. Isaiah 57, uh, 15, it says that, of God that He is high and lofty, lofty the one who inhabits eternity. Uh, this is saying the relativity of God's eternity to man's time. It, it's it's like a wink to Him. That's, that's what He's <laughs> saying here. Uh, and that's all you really need to read into that. And then He goes on in verse 9, and He says... The Lord is not slow because understand. Since a thousand years is a long time to me, you know. Uh, I'm seventy five years old, and you know that seems like a wink at one point, and on another scale, it seems like it's been a long time. You know, but in in the view of eternity, it's not even a wink. You know, it's not even it's not even that. And he he says here, he says here, the Lord is not slow about His promises. Some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. And what he's saying here is he's saying, look, the fact of the matter is, the fact that the Lord has not come back. This is going back to that that God hasn't consummated eternity at this point doesn't mean that God is slow as you might consider slowness. You know. I consider it slow when Michael's not ready at quarter after nine. You know, but uh, uh, but uh, for God, that's nothing. You know, <laughs> but uh, but sorry, Michael. But anyway, that's what kids are for. Yeah, that's what they're for to be used as examples and picked on. That's that's why that's why preachers have kids. Too. That's why they give they give ser- sermon illustrations. Uh, but at any rate, he says, he says uh, uh, God in his own reasoning and in, in, in his time frame has not, has not sent Jesus to collect his own at this juncture. He hasn't brought time to an end because the process of salvation is not yet finished. Uh, that's the idea. All of those who are to be saved have not been saved yet. This is not teaching uni- universalism that everyone will be saved. It is not teaching that. It is it is talking about all the elect who God will save. Some of them may not even have been born yet. That's the point here. That, that's the point that he's he's wanting to make here he's not slow he's not, deli- he's not being deliberate it, it's, de- it's a demonstration of something of God's character here that God is gracious that he's long suffering he's merciful and he has forbearance the, scho- the scholars are, are ridiculing God that he hasn't brought about his promised judgment and the morons should think well that he hasn't uh, because they would be in that fiery mess if indeed he had. So he's saying here that God isn't isn't delayed, he isn't late. That's what slow means in this context. He's not apathetic, but he works according to his own timetable. 1 Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse twenty. Uh, that's the verse that says that God's promises are yea and amen, or yes and amen. Uh, they all come about. Isaiah twenty-five seven says, "For you have worked one, uh, you have worked, for you have worked wonders. Councils formed long ago with a perfect faithfulness." Uh, that's that's the idea here. That, that he's saying. God's plan is in work, it's in operation, it's following exactly what whatever timetable God set in eternity. Patience uh, was a word that, interesting because how it ties to this context uh, that judgment is going to come eventually, that Christ will return, he'll take his own out, and then we have the tribulation and, and of the millennium, and then the final judgments, and the fiery mess that we just Talked about, and he basically says he basically says here he says God is patient, which means He is large with great anger. That's what this word means. The idea means His anger builds, but He holds it back. That's 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 the idea here. Uh, it, it has with it the meaning that judgment is sure. But grace gives time for repentance, three fifteen. And three fifteen, he he is going to, Peter is going to write and consider the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. In other words, God is patient, waiting for all of those to be saved who will be. Uh, he has a timetable for that. That's the idea here. And he says he says that they're not willing that that any any should should. Um, should be lost ultimately is the idea here he 's patient toward you, not willing that any would perish and once again it 's not teaching it 's not teaching universalism here that 's not the idea uh, its judgment will fall on those who willfully reject the salvation uh, they perish means to be utterly destroyed, and that 's what the text tells is going to happen to them. They will be utterly destroyed, but he is waiting for all of those who will eventually come to repentance which is a display of His glory, Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The context is Esau and Jacob. Esau whom God loved, and Jacob who God hated. Uh, those... Uh, those uh, those brethren of ours among, who do not hold uh, to uh, the election and do not hold to uh, the uh, doctrines of grace as we do, uh, they don't like this verse. It destroys their theology, incidentally. <laughs> it destroys it completely. But he says this, he says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend upon the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raise you up in order to demonstrate my power in you, and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world, or the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And then it goes on here, it's talking about the potter and the clay, and basically what he's saying is, Pharaoh was made as a pot to be destroyed that was that's the idea it talks about the authority of God and it talks about salvation is solely in his hand you understand that God had no obligation to save any one of us he did it out of his love and out of his mercy chapter 10 or verse 10, excuse me. Uh, verse 10 then goes on to, to finish up this section. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all of its work will be found out. And it says, what are you saying here? He's saying there is this, an a, there is an assurance that the day of the Lord is coming. You can be assured of that. Judgment will come just as God promised it will. That day is going to happen. It's, holy and it's totally in His timetable. And the present universe will be destroyed. That's, that's what He's saying here. He says, the Old Testament saw this day uh, that the Lord would destroy His enemies, saw this day as a time when God would destroy His enemies, vindicate His name, reveal His glory, establish His kingdom. Zechariah 14, Malachi 4, a number of passages in Isaiah uh, refer to this. The New Testament saw it in two phases. They saw it beginning in the tribulation period of Revelation 6.17 and coming... I lost the page, and then coming to its conclusion, coming coming to its conclusion at the close of the millennium, Revelation twenty-seven through ten, and then where the new heavens and new earth are then established in Revelation twenty-one one. <laughs> And he, and he sees this as a day of doom, a day of, of vengeance of the Old Testament, refers to this as a day of doom, as a day of vengeance, a day of wrath, of visitation. Uh, the, uh, the great day of God Almighty is seen in the New Testament, Revelation sixteen fourteen, which is kind of my favorite. Uh, and he, he gives features to what it's going to be like. This is like a thief in the night. It, it says that the unbelieving population is going to be unsuspecting. Uh, they're not going to recognize it. They're th- they're still going. The world goes on like it always has. Uh, that's that's the idea here. They're going to be disa- They're going to be unprepared and without warning for the disaster that's coming. Of course, the warning is in the scriptures, but they've ignored them. That's, that's the idea here. He says that pa- heavens will pass away with a roar. Jesus even said that in Matthew ch- chapter uh, 24, verse 35, the heavens and the earth will pass away. Now, heavens here is is speaking of the, the the physical universe, and God describes then the uncreation of the universe by God's intervention. He describes it, first of all, as a roar, A rushing sound, a loud noise, a deafening noise as the universe disintegrates. And then he says the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Now this is where they get the idea that it it could be somewhat of an unleashing of the atomic structure of the earth, because this word elements means one in a row, and it would describe the building blocks of the universe, atoms. Uh, that's that's what it describes. And, and, and basically, it says they're just undone. They're undone. They're released. Scientists so believe there's antimatter, and that if it collided with uh, normal particles, that it could lead to the destruction of the universe. And it's like, if this is the case, that shows yeah, that, not only the impressiveness of divine intervention, but God's patience as He holds it back. Yeah, exactly. But those are, that's where the other option comes from here. But we're not told exactly, so we'll leave it there. <laughs> and the earth and its works will be burned up. It speaks of the total structure of the earth and all that the earth contains. But for the believer, verse 13, that we'll look to next week, but according to his promise, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Anyway, I'm done. Are there any comments or questions this morning? Well, then we will close. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a righteous, holy God, and we thank you that you are also a loving, kind, merciful, gracious God, who in that, who in that mercy, in that grace, and in that love, chose to save some of Adam's fallen race. And you did so by sending your son to bear the price of our penalty. And though we are totally unworthy, you have shed your grace abroad upon us. And Father, we just, uh, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that your word is a constant reminder to us of your holiness and of your grace, of your justice and of your love. Your mercy And of your wrath. And Father, we just ask that we would keep our minds focused on you. That we would glorify the name of our Lord Jesus. That we would entrust ourselves to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we would give you the praise and the glory for it all. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.